BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jake, it is your serial killer bruiser, Holden McNeely, and your balls are one inch of plastic away from a bag full of fire ants. All you have to do is cut off one of them, and you'll be able to save the other one from a bag full of fire ants. Up to you, Toodaloo. Wait, uh, did I kill? Wait, is this because I killed a guy, or like because I, I I did like medical malfeasance? Why why are you doing this to me? Ah, shit! Some got through the plastic. All right, um, new plan, new plan. Uh, <laughs> Wait, uh, uh, just kill I, those ants, and then I'll release your balls. I uh, thought you were supposed to teach me something about the value of life, or something. Yeah, you jaywalked yesterday. What? That's it, it was like really careless. The other guy is a corrupt cop. The <laughs> other guy beat his white multiple white. I'm just here because of a jaywalking charge. Okay, but then after you jaywalked, you met a friend for lunch and you were chewing with your mouth open. It was disgusting. This, these, the, the punishments are wildly out of sync right now. I also, I'm just saying. I was already, I love being alive. You didn't have to make me tear my balls off. Okay, let me ask you this. Then. Have you ever had lunch with you while you're <laughs> eating with your mouth open? If you did, maybe you would understand why your balls would now be attached to a contraption that is very close to <laughs> a bunch of fire ants. Now, at this point in the conversation, I would be incredibly shocked how this pre-recorded VHS tape of a puppet <laughs> knew all of my responses ahead of time. But God damn it, John Kramer, the jigsaw killer, has all the moves planned out ahead. He's a brilliant man, a daring man, a bold man, and I would follow him to the ends of the earth. It's not John Kramer. It's Cookie Monster. <laughs> also, uh, Lieutenant Mark Hoffman is here. Hi, Lieutenant Mark. Mark Hoffman, you're in the bad guy in most of the movies, technically, because we <laughs> killed Jigsaw in Saw 3, oh God, which spoilers. was way too early. Way too the, early. That's insane. Yeah, how that's did, crazy. How, are, how, is, how is the main bad guy a guy named Mark? <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you caught this yet, listeners, but we're doing Saw, <laughs> and I am so excited to do this one. This is such a weird one, because Jake and I both, I don't think, really explored Saw No. In until this week. No, I saw the, I, I, okay, I saw the first one Fun in intended. theaters. I had a friend uh, in college oh, who oh, was super right, into like indie movies and horror movies. And specifically he had uh, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. If you're listening, I don't know. Uh, we were roommates and we had a blast. But um, the idea that, you know, the, this 
team of filmmakers out of nowhere beat the odds and made this highly uh, visceral and stylistic horror film. He like got me in the seat on the first day. Half of my movie, cool movie experiences, because I was roommates with Isaac. Um, and you know, it was uh, it was it was it had like the Matrix style color grading, the thumping industrial soundtrack, the twist ending. The uh, like crazy, rusty metal traps and aesthetics. And I walked away going like, oh, that was pretty neat. And then the second one came out the next year. And then the third one came out the next year. And then the fourth one came out the next year. Yep. And every time all the reviews were like, each one is subsequently worse. Right. Do not bother. And I never bothered, never thought about it until it was time for our Sunday study group production meeting. And we realized October was coming up. And the 10th entry in this series is coming out, Saw X, and now we're finally giving it the Whisbrew treatment. And frankly, I'm more confused than when we started. You know, it's almost as if, like, Reservoir Dogs came out. Then Quentin Tarantino went on to make Pulp Fiction and mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, Kill Bill. But somebody else said, no, no, nay, nay, Reservoir Dogs 2 with a different director, Reservoir Dogs 3. And every single year we got like a different Reservoir Dogs <laughs> movie where they all ended up like in this warehouse and yep. somebody is secretly a cop and somebody gets tortured in a specific weird way. And like, you know what I mean? And, and every single year you're like, yeah, like... I get that the first one was like novel and unique, but like, I don't know if the people really just wanted, but you know what? They did because for so many of these movies, the box office was huge on a budget of like near nothing. Even after the first one, the budgets were super low for these movies and they could pump them out on such an aggressive basis. I think this might be the most aggressive franchise ever of all time maybe because people liken them to like wow they started making movies like they started they were making call of duty games Mm -hmm. like once a year motherfucker and this is not gonna stop you know what i mean whereas like in the past like you didn't get a freddy movie every single year correct you know one so (laughs) i i get it's is it too early to start analyzing this shit because we can analyze i mean I, i still have a little bit of a gush but it's just like saw was I didn't watch any Saw movies until uh, we researched this episode. And before that, Saw was more a thing that like my horror loving friends loved that I just I could tell it was not my bag. Um, But it was more just like a yearly movie poster in the subway, Mm -hmm. you know? It was just every single year this movie would be in the subway. And then my friends, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of them. Last podcast on the left, they would like watch them every year and essentially be like, yeah, it was whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was just part of the zeitgeist. Like you, if you were a horror fan, like you watched the Saw movie that came out every year, you know, and laughed at it and kind of like, hey, there were a couple of good kills, you know, yada, yada. And you kind of rake those, you, you, you strain the movie out for those, you know. But but uh, it it was cool to go back and watch the first one this week and be like, oh, this all came from like a really novel, interesting place that uh, is really fascinating because it's essentially the story of how two kids right out of film school managed to make a giant blockbuster smash. And that 
to me is the interesting story. It's that. And then the part two of that, which is, and then they left, went on to become the modern voices of horror in all these other ways. And, uh, the franchise was taken over by the studio and just, wow, that is, a that's a franchise, man. That's how to do it. So there's so many weird things about this franchise. Number one has to be just the fact that like the, the formative movie, made about $103 million worldwide. I think the biggest uh, take home for any of the movies was Saw 3 at $164 million. None of these movies cost more than $20 million. Spiral cost the most, and that had like a much uh, more marquee cast. You know, it was like an attempt to kind of push it. But that formative movie, just this, this, and we'll tell the story of this first movie, but all the things like the weird scene transitions, the uh, pan around the victim as they, they're they sped up and going like, ah, uh, ah. yeah, um, just the use of like rusty uh, abandoned factories and slaughterhouses mm. and the one dingy bathroom, the barely fleshed out characters all become this operatic like foundational myth to the point where there's an amazing compilation on YouTube in which you get to uh, hear the same ending music over and over again, composed by Charlie Clauser, who worked on uh, with Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, really nails that like that thumping techno industrial soundtrack. Uh, April, if you can play that like saw ending theme with just and every single time, just some random person gets up, just like in the first movie, and is like. That's right, it was me all along. I got an envelope from Jigsaw, who then sent a VHS tape to me as well. Right. And he told me everything that was going to happen, even though he died several movies ago. And now I've trapped you in the either the exact same bathroom from the first movie. Or, like, uh, also, I'm best friends with the one side character from the first movie you barely remember. And that's mm -hmm. my connection to the lore. And then I'm going to slam a door and say, game over. And like every movie ends like that because that's how the first movie ended. Yeah, it's so weird. The fucking bear trap mask keeps showing up again. Like it's a like you're supposed to clap when you see it. Like <laughs> a beloved returning character. <laughs> the uh, just insane amounts of kills and the ways that the kills up the ante. Because if you actually look at the first one. There, none of the traps really go off. You uh -huh. see, like, the guy in the razor wire, and you just see his dead body. You see, like, uh, you know, the lady in the trap gives her story of how she uh, cut open the guy to escape the trap, but the trap doesn't actually go off. And then by the, like, second and third movie, it's just watching traps go off like crazy to the point where you're watching fucking Chester Bennington from Linkin Park R.I.P., just like scream as he's hot glued to a vinyl car seat and you see like latex flesh getting stripped off his back and like people's heads are getting exploded and eviscerated or fucking turned into a goddamn daisy of flesh petals with laser collars. <laughs> it's like, it's just it's this mutant thing mm -hmm. that is all based on just a series of practical considerations for making a $1 million budget horror movie. Yeah. Essentially, it was just how it was like, how do we make a incredibly cheap, big, like Hollywood movie? Yeah. Like, how do we how do we make a name for ourselves in the genre of horror? 
in the current climate we're in, and we'll talk about what was going on socially, politically at that point that was, I'm sure, an influence based on the trend too, because I feel like the a big reason why I didn't want to really had I didn't really have a big interest in Saw was because aesthetically it reminded me of a movie that really fucked with me when I saw it a little too young. Mm. That would be the movie Seven, mm-hmm. and I think that the DNA is so there. Oh, James Wan is absolutely doing David Fincher on a budget. Yes. The quick cuts, the unique camera moves, the totally. weird transitions. Just the whole serial killer performing, a, like outsmarting detectives, perform, you know, pulling Leaving off. Leaving calling cards, yeah. giving ironic punishments. Yes. It's all very, like, yeah, seven on a budget. It's seven meets Silence of the Lambs, right? With a little bit of Matrix thrown in the a mix. A little bit of Matrix, which also, again, talking about, like, gritty and, you know, it had this aesthetic that was disturbing to me just on toll. It was like a fucking Marilyn Manson music video. There was a time in in pop culture where this was like one of the bigger, more popular aesthetics um, in our culture. And I was like, not into it. (laughs) I was like, this makes me so scared and upset. And, you know, now I can stomach it and I get it. And I understand it from like more of a perspective of, of, you know, pop culture and movie making and things like that. It doesn't like get to me like before all, in fact, all I could think about was like how dirty their feet were Mm -hmm. and how like grueling that shooting process must've been, even though they only did, I think it was like six days or something like that. And bath they shot everything in the bathroom first in oh chronological my God. order holden can i just like blast my first like uh academic theoretical rope this early in i the- am on my knees with my eyes closed <laughs> man blast away dude so obviously the use of these warehouses and dank bathrooms and abandoned factories is just because those were the cheapest place to film because obviously you don't have to like rent any place out. You don't have to like get silence. You know, it's it's and it's spooky. It's just generally spooky. But in a post 9-11 world, literally be like the one of the running themes in these movies is it's usually a haughty, self-absorbed young urbanite who is now just in the middle of this like rusty, dirty factory floor or a dank, leaky public bathroom. And they are attached to some iron, wrought iron, gasoline-powered monstrosity. And it was all put in place by this grizzled, dying old man. And if anything, there's definitely this weird theme going on where it's like a post-NAFTA Western world where, like, the actual utensils of post-World War II prosperity, these steel tools, these gas engines, these factory floors are now foreign and menacing and represent this, like, lingering ghost of, like, uh, you know, a, 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 a wronged spirit that is just destroying your once comfortable body and forcing good, you Jake. to bring this you is back. Good. You know, with the idea being you you have to, like, embrace the pain, embrace the grit, embrace your 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 weak flesh in order to truly see the world uh, as it is to appreciate the gift of life because we have lost our way with outsourcing and the service economy. <laughs> also, God, can we just talk about like the, the the Saw franchise, like obviously the producers, the studio, whoever is the rights holders is not shy about licensing this like world. There's roller coasters. There's a million theme park attractions, a million escape rooms, tie in comics, a thousand little Billy the puppet like desktop toys you can buy on any like nerd site. And 
like it fills a need for a recognizable horror franchise that we really haven't had. Like you don't get to buy a cool, um, you know, Midsommar, uh, uh, I don't phone case or something. But you can buy a million fake distressed saw blade yeah. saw franchise. Or just Billy the puppet, you know. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. I mean, it has that mascotting that you really need for a horror franchise that harkens to the like the 80s, you know. Because again, also, seven doesn't have you don't have like a box that says what's in the box on it sitting yeah. on your desk, you know what I mean, or in the background of your Twitch stream. Like that doesn't exist. But yeah, this has this comes Combined, like the grittiness and the like edginess of Seven Silence of the Lambs, and it, it with the like over the top eighties mascotting mm-hmm. and and you know that we that we all know and love and like need to be up to be able to apply to uh, that uh, you know merchandising and things like that, so we can like tout the thing we love in our modern age of of fandom being a large part of your personality. And then the final piece of the puzzle is fucking. You know, if it's not the puppet, it's not the the rusty bandsaws, it's not the weird devices that break your all your bones at once unless you say you're sorry for being a just a licensed fucking in the first movie. One guy's crime is that he cheats on his wife and the <laughs> other guy's crime is uh, he's just a working private detective. Yeah, yeah. He's like, how dare you take pictures of other yeah, people? Like, that's a, a job. That, that, that is a, that yeah, is a that is totally culturally, a jo- socially job. accepted job. <laughs> he's, not even like a pap- he's not even like a paparazzi or whatever where you could really yeah. be like, this guy He was sucks. hired by the fucking, he was hired by one of the detectives. Like, it's a perfectly <laughs> reasonable, he's guiltless. Um... <laughs> But the, the but the 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 just physical presence and the growling voice and just the calm demeanor of actor Tobin Bell. Yes. Who is the one through line. People love Tobin Bell. They love Jigsaw. They love John Kramer. He's like, you know, his iconic red lined cloak and weird like soul patch that he has in half the movies and his deadpan delivery has like, this is not a horror icon. This is not Michael Myers. This is not Freddy Krueger. He's just a 80 year old actor, Yeah, but he just has to be, but he's like the heart and soul of this franchise. Yeah. Uh, Where, you know, half the movies are just people being like, I would do anything for you. John Kramer, the jigsaw killer. And he just stares at him and just goes like, well, I'm glad you got to, you got to appreciate being alive. That's the important thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the funny thing too. Seven is like people being like really horrible in this life and them committing mm-hmm. one of the deadly sins and being taken away. But I love that. It's like, it's like a positive message. And jigsaw, <laughs> the saucer is like, you gotta, you gotta have a skip in your step. And if you don't, then I might need to attach you to a device that makes you slice off, pull out your own guts, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to find a key or whatever it is. So, yeah, I totally, it's such a weird one, man. But it makes a lot of sense, too, if you look, if you if you think about what the world was like at that time, and we'll get into that as well. But why don't we first just start with how this fucking crazy Let's get into first it. movie got made, like, straight up, you know? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I will just say as a synopsis, Saw is an American horror movie franchise created by Australian duo James Wan and Lee Wanell. At uh, as the time as of the time of this episode release, there are ten films in the franchise, with the most recent being Saw X or Saw Ten, released on September 29, twenty twenty three. We so- all know how to count, Holden. It's Saw One, Saw Two, <laughs> Saw Three, Saw Four, Saw Five, Saw Six, Saw Three D. The final chapter <laughs> jigsaw spiral saw 10 i can't believe they called the seventh saw saw 3d it is so insane it makes no sense and it really does speak towards the whole franchise being like just idiot so idiotic by that point mm-hmm. you know that they're like then even the naming convention is idiotic the poster for it looks ridiculous oh with the giant tobin bell made out of like concrete and wrought iron so it's like weird the whole thing is so weird again, by that point again he died in Saw 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, that didn't keep him out of the other movies. Uh, so here we go. Let's start with James. My dude was busy <laughs> before. He had like five months to live from yeah. a brain tumor and spent every waking second making highly prescient VHS tapes that was going to predict exactly how strangers would behave in trap scenarios. <laughs> For several years. Several, several, several years of the future. So uh, James Wan, let's start with him. Uh, He was born in Malaysia. His parents are Chinese Malaysian. However, they moved to Perth, Western Australia when James was seven years old. Uh, And this is where he would spend the rest of his childhood years and end up going to college in Melbourne. Lee Wanell was writing since he was a kid and worked as a reporter and film critic for different Australian TV shows while attending school. He also acted and before Saw, he appeared in the Australian soap Neighbors and the Australian police drama Blue Healers. The two met each other at film school in Melbourne in the late 90s. Wanell called it, quote, a really arty film school with lots of black nail polish and berets and guys making films about sand. (laughs) James would get up and show his films and they'd be about zombies. I knew he was going to become something big. That title of the short film he's referring to is Zombie Apocalypse. Uh, The other film students apparently were very, like, snooty, kind of turning their nose up at the horror genre and Lee approached him after that one class where he showed that film and and immediately struck up a relationship with them. He was like, I got to work with this guy because they had the same sensibilities, the same interests and the same love of the genre of horror. Uh, So James Wan said uh, as they were approaching 
getting, uh, you know, working together. It was the mid to late 90s, and Lee and I really wanted to cut through the noise of all the indie movies that were coming out at the time. So we spent a whole year thinking about story ideas. And one day, as I was in the shower, I thought, what about a movie with two people stuck in a bathroom with a really grungy toilet? They have no idea how they got in there, and they're chained to opposite sides of the room. So I only knew the rough setup, and then I knew how I wanted the story to end with Jigsaw, this person who put them in that situation. And so I pitched a really simple setup and finale to Lee. And he was like, oh, wow, let me think about it. So he went off and he came back to me with Saw. Now, before it wasn't that easy. Mm -hmm. Before that, and I liked this about the story. Apparently, they pitched a lot of ideas to each other back and forth, back and forth. There was like one about like uh, astral projections. There was, uh, you know, ghost ones, stuff like that. They, They were trying to figure out how do we make a movie on like a shoestring budget? It has to be very simple. It doesn't get a lot cheaper than two guys in a bathroom. Right. And but uh, uh, until they got to that point, they were constantly shooting each other's ideas down and very, very like uh, pretty raw with each other about that, you know, and very, very discriminating um, to to good effect. There's a great uh, little talk they gave at one of the early sauce screenings where uh, Lee actually says, you know, if they their goal with this first one was just to like sell a script and then like to take the money from selling that script to make something even cheaper. Lay was like, we'll sell the script about two guys talking in a bathroom and then we'll make a movie about one guy in a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Leo and L said it was about the year 2000 that we decided to make a film with a video camera, Blair Witch style. And initially, the concept was to have two guys wake up in an elevator and only use security footage to show what happens in the film. Like pure Blair Witch. Then Juan gave him the concept of the two men in the bathroom with a dead body between them. Uh, 1L said, I'll never forget that day. I remember hanging up the phone and started just going over it in my head. And without any sort of long period of pondering, I opened my diary that I had at the time and wrote the word Saul. It was one of those moments that made me aware that some things just really are meant to be. Some things are just waiting there to be discovered. I love hearing about that in the creative process. Like it already exists. You just need to pull it into reality. It seems uh, they got a decent amount of inspiration, uh, you know, as we mentioned by the movie Seven. Uh, Sounds of the Lambs is the one they directly point to uh, as inspiration for Jigsaw, which makes sense. It's like the Hannibal characters. It's like he's smarter than every. He's kind of ahead of everyone. Mm -hmm. He, you know, has his own twisted morality. Mm -hmm. All that. One else said, in a sense, we definitely owe a lot to the movie Silence of the Lambs. We wanted Jigsaw to be intelligent like Hannibal, not silent or wisecracking. Then we wanted to make sure that Jigsaw would never be confused with Hannibal. Also, at this time of the writing, the first script, Lee Wanell began having these intense migraines, which sent him to the hospital regularly and even had him wondering if he was going to make it to the other side. Concerns about a brain tumor, this all this sort of thing. And uh, so this medical issue he incorporated into the script for the villain's motivation. Wanell said, instead of a doctor telling you you have a year to live, make the best of it, this guy would put people in a situation and say you have 10 minutes to live. How are you going to spend those 10 minutes? Are you going to get out of it i thought that would be a good way to capture the idea of why somebody would stick two people in this room and give them a time limit to get out so the two were adamant that they would make this movie themselves 
They couldn't get uh, the funding in Australia, so they set their sights on Hollywood. They did have an agent at the time giving them advice, and the agent was the one saying, like, no, 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 I get it. You don't want to spend the money on the plane ticket and everything going along with that, but you got to fly out to L.A., and you've got to get, you know, try to get this movie made that way. There were a lot of issues in, in Australia at the time. I think there's, like, kind of a, you know, that one, like, movie I don't know how they do it but it's like through the government like Canada style you get a little like funding just to just to like make something within Australia and use Australian resources and keep the Australian film industry going and even though uh, horror in Australia would become pretty big there'd be a lot of big burgeoning like horror films to come uh, in the next decade. But at that current time, just like at the film school they were attending, uh, they were thumbing their noses at the genre of horror. So they couldn't get it made over there. There was a, um, at some point during this process, while they were going back and forth about the original Saw concept, uh, Lee actually says that it was James Wan who demanded that they add a creepy puppet somewhere in the mix. Ah. Which, if you look at James Wan's oeuvre uh, uh, between The Conjuring and uh, the Annabelle and all yeah, this shit. Yeah, always a fucking creepy puppet. Megan, yeah. like, yeah, my dude loves a fucking creepy puppet. <laughs> so uh, they also, though, know that in order to make this movie themselves, they need more than just a script. So they max out their credit cards. It's mostly Lee's money at the time. And they make a 10-minute test short to show exactly how they would make this thing. So the short featured Wanell in the jaw trap torture device. They do that scene, but him instead of the uh, the lady they got for the movie. They do show off Billy the Puppet as well. And uh, they, they shoot that sequence, that little sequence with the jaw trap. I actually watched it for the, uh, for the, for the research purposes. Uh, it's known colloquially by fans as Saw 0.5. It's kind of the beta version. And Lee does a really good job as this like uh, kind of burnt out hospital orderly who's chain smoking and kind of just has a blase attitude about life. Um, he uh, Lee talks about how uh, they reached out to a friend of James who uh, was like an industrial designer to make the, the famous reverse bear trap mouth thingy and how they were shocked at how grisly and gnarly the thing was. You know, that highly mechanical, homemade leather and rusty steel aesthetic all came from this one friend of theirs whose name uh, I I didn't write down, but good on you. <laughs> and uh, they claimed that the original trap was actually built to work as a face exploder. He claimed all he had to do was replace the spring he had built into it with a proper bear trap spring, and it would do the job. Nice. Billy the Puppet also appears in a similar way in the movie. In fact, Billy the Puppet that they made for the movie, they just brought in for the filming of the final movie when they got finally got the green line. Yeah, James Wan made that puppet himself with paper mache and paper towel rolls. It's incredibly handmade, the puppet, in the first Saw movie. They would end up, uh, of course, giving it a lot more riz uh, in, in Saw 2 and onward and making him, you know, remote controlled and all this kind of stuff and redesigned in that, in that way. But yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. And again, this is a common factor for why the first movie works so well because they had barely anything to work with and that puppet's so handmade it's so much creepier 
You know, mm-hmm. it's just way creepier because it's just like it's so stitched together. And that's kind of what the 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 charm of all of this, you know. And uh, also, I also really want to uh, mention in case people don't know, Lee Wanell goes on to uh, be the 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 private detective in the first movie. Right. He's one of the main characters in the first film. Not only that, but like one of the amazing through lines of this movie of this movie franchise is that he's. Every time they go back to that bathroom, because right. they have to go back to that bathroom because it's one of the only iconic pieces of the lore. Um, he is like a body double or just an emaciated corpse right. of his character is just still there, yes. still chained up. Um, I don't know. Are we going to get to the scary movie connection? Uh, what is the scary? You Now you're infotaining me, Jake. So uh, they struck down that original set like immediately after the movie was done. And uh, when the sequels were approved, instead of building it anew, they actually got a hold of the production team of Scary Movie 2 and 3. <laughs> And knew that they built a replica of the bathroom and they just used that love for it. all subsequent movies. I love it. It should. Uh, are, are we talking about Evolution Entertainment and Twisted Pictures and their role in all this? Yeah, I have, I have, a, I have a good quote from James Wan here getting back, getting back to the short. That short got us a lot of attention. We did a lap around the town, as Lee would say, and the very first meeting we had was with Evolution, which became Twisted Pictures. The producers' names at Twisted are Mark Berg and Oren Coles, and according to Mark Berg, Quote, when they walked into the office, Oren looked at James and said, let me get this straight. You want to direct it? And then he looked at Lee and said, and you want to star in it? And they were like, yep. Oren said, well, if you can do it for a million dollars, it's greenlit. Go ahead and get started. They both looked at each other and were like, wow, America. (laughs) Uh, In this way that I heard James and Lee tell the story, they had actually gone to Evolution Entertainment first, which was this Uh, mostly a management company. They were desperate to get into production, but needed a flashy yet affordable idea to get them through like, you know, the first round, you know, of through their first movie. Uh, Their company's clients include Charlie Sheen and Danny Glover, which is why Danny Glover was probably thrown into the first one as kind of the one name actor. Mm. After the meeting and after the, and they, uh, Lee and James claimed that they, the team at Evolution was like visibly bored during the screening of their short, but they had an intern run after them as they were in the car ready to leave, bang on it and say, okay, you guys can do it. They then shopped it around still and no one was willing to let them actually be in the movie. A lot of these production companies just want to buy the script, maybe sit on it, who knows, but they don't want to actually have to deal with like nobodies. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, James Wan was like, we'll give it to David Fincher. It'll star like Brad Pitt and everybody's like making money. Also, you have to understand that a lot of these guys, I think it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> Greg Hoffman at uh, tw- at Twisted Pictures, was he was working for Disney for a while. He like produced George of the Jungle 2. <laughs> Mark Berg, the other guy there, like worked on Bull Durham and Toy Soldiers and The Sandlot. Oh my God. Like yeah. these were guys that had not been able to like break out of their own and like make a true film that like was their own vision before. So this they were taking a risk on these two unknowns and these unknowns were taking a risk on them. And I think it's because Twisted Pictures really saw was their bread and butter, saw as like maybe one of their few like mainstream. Actually, no, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. They made the Saw movies. 
They made Dead Silence, a James Wan-directed supernatural horror film uh, with James Wan and Lee, also starring a creepy puppet. Mm -hmm. They did Repo the Genetic Opera, (laughs) which, uh, amazing. A Little Blue Vial. Um, uh, But yeah, no, they really, like... Their their company stays afloat on the back of the oh, Saw yeah. franchise, so Big they time. have no impetus to ever bring this to a halt. Uh, they are in the works on making a live action Ninja Gaiden movie. Oh my god, which is weird. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, and James and Lee too. Yeah, you're, they are also taking just a little bit of money up top. Uh, and sharing the back-end profits. And that is a huge risk for them at the time as well. That's not a lot of money uh, right away with a big hope that it would make a lot in return. It does. (laughs) Uh, So... Getting this first one off the ground, they end up sending Carrie Elways of Princess Bride fame the short film and script in the mail. I like to think of them as Robin Hood men in tights fame, but that's that's just me. I love them both. Uh, And I just have to say, let's get it out of the way. Oh, my God. Why did they not just let him be British in this movie? (laughs) That is the I've never. You guys started talking about it. We were doing that. We watched it all together. Sunday study session. Every Sunday we covered the topic recovery. We watched the first Saw movie as a group uh, over on Discord uh, via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Great plug. Thank you. We were all sitting around and like you guys first started mentioning like how bad he was in and out of his American accent. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I barely noticed that kind of thing. Dude, by the end of the... I was like, this is insane how bad this is going in and out. Because he's like scream acting. You yeah. know, this this whole character of... Uh, what's his name? Dr. Gordon, I believe. Yes. The, uh, is like being constantly tortured and his family's on the line. And just like when he really gets worked up, he's just like, you bastard, yeah. where is my wife? <laughs> that was crazy. Because <laughs> his accent... This is like um, the, the, the comparison I made was to uh, first Dr. Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, where like if you don't if you're not great at doing an American accent, a lot of British actors just get this like, hi there, I'm a nasally right. I'm from Boston, the South, also, y'all. Yeah, like yeah. it just does not it's from nowhere. But he's like spittle flowing out of his mouth, like screaming, like crying, and he's just like you son of a bitch. Like, it's, it's so just- funny. But other than that, he does a great job in this movie. And I feel like he, he him and Danny Glover really were the, uh, that that star power that they needed, you know. Also, apparently, Carrie Elwes was, was uh, a darling on set and was like a real like grounding professional nice. voice of like encouragement while a lot of these filmmakers were kind of like freaking out at their uh, first film. Um, another story they tell is about how actor Ken Lung, who played uh, Danny Glover's partner, he um, gets his shit wrecked by a booby trapped row of shotguns, if you remember in the movie. Yes. Was constantly playing pranks on set and would constantly hand the actors, quote unquote, script revisions that he had just made up himself <laughs> in which like his character is like. Like, um, just because I'm Asian doesn't mean I do laundry, but you're the only one here who needs to clean up his act. And, like, <laughs> James Wan would, like, walk into Carrie Elwes, like, frantically going through these script revisions, being like, I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to keep up with all this. And James had to be like, no, 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 Ken was bullshit. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> Another factoid about the cast. Shawnee Smith, who plays the drug addict in the jaw trap, at first balked at the role. She found the script to be horrific and was not a horror fan, but eventually relented and took on the role, which this is just funny because she ends up becoming like a total scream queen from all of this. She's one of the people that does continuously pop up and saw films and has fully achieved scream scream queen status. Which actress was this? Uh the one who Shawnee Smith, the one who played the oh. the jaw trap. Lady. Yes, yes. Amanda. Oh, I'm sorry. The beloved character, Amanda. Yes. Who's uh, fucked up past and loyalty to Jigsaw makes her a powerful force until she is. Uh, well, well, no, she keeps coming back. <laughs> All these movies love doing big fucking flashbacks right. in previous movies. Yeah, that's the other thing that you you you. In Saw, the first one, you get like what's going on in the bathtub or bathroom, and then it cuts away to like what's happening just outside or right outside with uh, chasing the serial killer and all that stuff, right? But then after that, it's like time jump city. <laughs> they just like all, it's just constantly cutting to completely different times and completely different scenarios. It's like, it becomes that that becomes like a mark of the series, mm-hmm. which just says to me, like confusing that just it's just because like the titular puzzle, this whole thing is just an assemblage of random pieces. Yes. That is just they keep trying to hold it together yes. into a cohesive whole. And then you and speaking of co- cohesive holes, <laughs> Tobin Bell, a.k.a. Jigsaw, did the uh, did the movie based on the final scene. He felt, quote, the film was worth doing for that moment alone. Um, you know, because it's not like he has a lot in, in, to work with in the first movie. You know, I don't think he thought that he would become Tobin Bell the jigsaw yeah. you know um but it certainly certainly turns out that way and he does kill it he's like amazing uh as as uh, jigsaw for sure so getting into the shoot the shoot it was only 18 days long the bathroom scenes took up the first six days already mentioned that dr gordon's shots were very steady while adam's shots were shaky and handheld feeling um that was a that was done to convey elements of their characters the whole rushed process was a huge struggle for Juan. Juan. Juan did not get the movie he was trying to make out of out of the out of the shooting. It's kind of very interesting the way he talks about now, it. Now, Juan claims that like uh, the rush together last minute short that they made for the pitch meeting was like more relaxed and like easier to get through than the actual movie because their time frame was so condensed. They they could only get like two or so takes for each actor in each moment, mm. you know? I mean, the movie's like an hour 40 almost, you know? 18 days? Mm-hmm. That's nuts. They were working overtime and not able to take a lot of time for sure. And But this is the thing. Again, it's the stitched together quality that gives it 
the charm. So in the editing, they had to do a ton of work around uh, to fill in gaps. So every time there's shots of newspaper clippings, surveillance footage, still photography, all of that is literally just duct tape. <laughs> to try to pull this movie together. But the thing is, when the final product came out, that was the shit everyone pointed to to be like, wow, this is like totally, you know, on the cusp, like the the cutting edge of modern indie fi- horror filmmaking. Like this is this this is what like really cool artistic choices, directorial choices. And really at the end of the day, it was just James Wan doing everything he could to make a feature length film on a million dollars with a, with a, a schedule of 18 days. You know, it really there's a real, I mean the influence of MTV and a lot of the tricks from music videos show up yes. in this kind of, uh, in this first movie, uh, the rapid cuts, the use of like, you know, if the footage looks kind of lame, speed it up. Now it's like freaky looking. Which is why, oh my God, the best example of that is in the first movie when they do the quote unquote like car chase. Mm-hmm. And it's just a quick cut of dating lover <laughs> in the car like weirdly sped up and then the killer in the car weirdly sped up. And it just, and it's like, a, it, it's so hacky if you really think about it, but it happens so quickly. You're like, oh yeah, I guess. That's establishing a car chase. You don't even get a shot of like a car going down the street. It's so funny. But it makes sense, too, that like a a music video director ends up taking the helm on the movies, you know, after this, on the next few movies after this, because, yeah, it really fully has that that quality. And it's very MTV. Like, I remember I have this weird memory of when um, what's his name? One for for seven. Uh, Fincher, uh, David Fincher. Yeah, he got up and and when he accepted his um, movie uh, award, f- it was the MTV Movie Awards, and he got up and he was like, "I made this movie for the MTV people. Mm. I made this movie for the MTV audience." You know, and and again, that DNA really shines through when it comes to Saw. James Wan said, "Sure, it really wasn't the film I set up to do. Yet it ended up being this cultural phenomenon that we never expected. I never expected that my first title, as I refer to." it, my student film would ultimately go on to have such a cultural impact. I know one could argue that's for better or for worse. I think through the rose-tinted glass of time, people will come to really, even the haters of the Saw films will come to look at this and go, you know what? That wasn't bad. I agree. Now that I have some perspective and can look back, because I was definitely an eye roller at the Saw films and the term torture porn and anything that was referred to as torture porn. So the term torture porn was created in the wake of uh, a lot of these 2000s era movies with Saw kind of being the most visible of them. Um, You got, uh, yeah, there was, it was David Edelstein of the New York Times who in describing Saw along with uh, The Devil's Rejects by Rob Zombie, Mm. uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ and uh, Wolf Creek, which I never actually saw. Uh, You know, he offered this uh, that the titillating and shocking spectacle was a uh, thing that pushed audiences to the margins of depravity in order for them to feel something. Uh, It was Peter Hartlob of the San Francisco Chronicle who equated the debased psychotic audience of the Saw films with uh, basically saying 
The success of the Saw franchise shouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody. It's the perfect movie who spent their childhood pulling the wings off of flies <laughs> and incinerating ants with a magnifying glass, but never got around to becoming serial killers themselves. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was a bit of, I, 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 we'll get to it in a little while, but I think there was some definitely some shit going on in our country and in the world at large at this time that really opened the doors for this kind of movie. I don't think it was just stiller, serial killers in the making that were flocking to these films and droves. There's an essay by Evangelos uh, Celias called The Spectacle of Correction, Video Games, Movies, and Control that kind of thinks that the uh, the main contribution of the Saw franchise was this escape room kind of countdown timer yeah. video game aspect. Hell, one of the series' catchphrases is uh, Jigsaw just saying in a gruff voice, game over, and slamming a door on the final victim, which happens in literally every one of these movies. Yeah, and I mean, the, the term escape room came up a lot uh, while we were watching the first Saw movie together. And I totally, totally connected with that because, and there is, by the way, full-on official Saw-themed escape room in Las Vegas if you wanted that experience. But yeah, this was a real precursor. And they really do break your shins yes. and forearms in a twisted mechanical heart. They, they peel your penis like a banana. And uh, <laughs> April hit it! What? Here I said here banana! Here we go! I object to that. And uh, by the way, I also referenced that song because at one point in the Saw escape room experience, they do shoot you with a coconut gun, uh, which is very <laughs> it does painful, If it hurts, if it hits you, it's going to hurt. We know this to be true. <laughs> so, yeah. So the movie comes out in 2004. It's a smash hit, earning them over $100 million in the box office On worldwide. A, what, barely $1.5 million budget. Yeah. I think it was actually, I saw $700,000 was their actual shooting budget like and then probably the 300,000 was like marketing Lee actually points to uh, Twisted Pictures and Lionsgate's uh, very innovative marketing strategies uh, one of the most memorable promotions for the movie was on the Howard Stern show they sponsored a amputee beauty pageant <laughs> there was another promotion where if you donated blood to the Red Cross you got a free ticket to see the movie nice uh, and you know th this is especially during this era like these kind of attention getting stunts were still innovative you know we had this is a pre-flash mob society mm -hmm, we're talking about mm -hmm. yeah um this movie totally like changes the game for so many you know creates this giant franchise in horror creates this trend of torture porn or whatever but also i think the thing that blew my mind the most is i didn't realize james wan then goes off makes insidious he makes the conjuring that whole franchise which re i think defined like what horror was in the 2010s, essentially. Mm -hmm. He he then goes out, he makes Fast 7, one of the best Fast and the Furious movies. Um, the, Aquaman. The, the, like it's Aquaman is incredible. Aquaman is one of the most standout, singularly interesting and visually striking superhero movies to come out of the DC universe. He's a machine, man. And, and he works 7, a lot with Lee as well on on different mm, things. Furious Seven. You have to understand the 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 fact that he made such a bombastic and action packed movie while dealing with the death of Paul Walker and then giving Paul Walker that amazing send off at the end was such an achievement in filmmaking that he does not get enough credit for. It's cra This guy is an incredible talent. And it's so funny that like a blip on his, the thing that broke him though, but still in his, in terms of like his career retrospective, the thing that he almost, he looks at it as a student film. 
is the first Saw movie is so insane. Like what a what a brilliant voice in in uh in Hollywood. I mean, it's kind of insane. Lee does stick around for a little bit more of the Saw stuff. He, he is involved in some of the screenplay writing and things like that for the sequels. But I think the other fascinating thing is James Wan never returns, at least at this point, to another Saw movie to direct or really have that much involvement. They're always listed as executive producers. I don't know how much oversight they really have, though, because it really seems like in interviews, they even talk about how it's like so weird to, you know, be driving around and see a billboard for a Saw movie that they have no idea what the fuck is happens in it or any or who's even involved in the movie. And it's like they're this thing that they created and unleashed into the world. And they, they even say, quote, for better or for worse. Mm. But let's get into it. The sequels. James Wan said, I think before Saw came along, there really wasn't a movie franchise that actually went out there and said, we're going to come out with one every year during Halloween and make that our trademark. So this was the case with the first sequel, which Wan and Wanell both have said they did not have in mind at all, even though the twist ending does lead one to believe otherwise. This is further backed by the fact that Wanell and Wan were already working on another film when the sequel was greenlit. They were working on Dead Silence. So instead, there was a script for a horror movie titled The Desperate by a music video director named Darren Lynn Bousman that was getting some attention, but also was getting the reaction that it was a bit too similar to that their Saw film. Mm. This script ended up in the hands of the Saw producers who decided it was actually now the rough draft for Saw 2, with Lee Wanell then going in and polishing it up. And it was actually an X-rated script. Uh, they they were able to convert it to more of an R rating during these changes. Uh, they did keep the characters' traps and deaths from the original script, uh, which also had a twist ending. Uh, outside of Juan, the entire crew did return for this sequel. So really, it's just the director not returning. Uh, they filmed four or five different endings to try and keep the real one a secret, with cast members only receiving partial scripts during the shooting process and of course they get you know Tobin Belt reprise his role he's going to be doing that for many movies to come and yeah Saw 2 it does gangbusters I mean Saw 2 what would you say about Saw 2 Jake um it's kind of I mean the fact that there's uh that now you finally get to see the traps go off is really shocking and kind of uh cements the Saw franchise as being mostly about the kills mostly about the traps, kind of taking what is the core game of the Saw franchise and turning it into uh, literally what you and your friends would do at age 12, just sitting around a fucking, uh, at the playground being like, okay, what'd be more fucked up if like a bunch of nails went into your eyeballs or if like one hot piece of glass went up your pee hole? Right. Like what would be worse? (laughs) Like (laughs) there's even like, there's like I saw three really sticks out to me because like one of the first things that happens is the angel trap in which like a woman has spikes and hooks like put into their rib cage and like it just rips her open so that her torso now looks like a, the wings of an angel. And at first I was like, huh, there's no real escape and there's no real lesson here. What's going on? <laughs> and the the movie actually has like Jigsaw talking down to his apprentice, one of many apprentices that we get to see over the over the uh, series being like you didn't play it by the rules it's it's bull your traps are bullshit it's just fucked up people die <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have a system god damn it you gotta have like uh, a way for them to get out to appreciate life 
Saw 3 also has the first uh, full frontal nudity with a lady that just gets hosed down with ice water until she just get, her tits get frozen to death. Jesus. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> also directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, by the way. He yeah. goes on, he does Saw 3 and Saw 4. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But the same, it's the same thing, that same ending music, the same game over slam, the same fucking, uh, just like, just, just rapid fire thing. They all blur together, really. Yeah, I wonder why they felt so confined to Because that's the all things. they had to go on, because it's not, it wasn't, a, there wasn't anything to go on. There was just two guys in a bathroom, and then but they're that, like, but That would so- make you think that would free them to really ex- just go, you know, go off and try completely different things, and instead it's but like. But then it's not a Saw movie, it's just a, a people getting fucked up by machines movie, and why do you, why are you. You know, anybody could make that movie. You're Twisted Pictures. You make Saw movies. So the third film, yeah, Jigsaw dies at the end of the third film. Murdered by beloved character Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, the guy who killed, like, it's, ha- the ending of Saw 3 is just a bunch of people going, Jeff, no, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, like, who the fuck is Jeff? The fourth film has a whole web of traps and games left behind by this deceased killer, and that establishes that situation that you already mentioned uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's the Darren Lynn Bousman joint. I mean, what, what kind of mark would you say, like, he had as a director distinct from what James Wan did? By this point, the, uh, the team that makes these films are, like, assembled, the costume designers, the trap designers, like, there's always just some generic cop named, like, Detective Wingle Wangle who's like, I think we're close, and he gets fucking murked. It's just, they just kind of blur into each other. I actually skipped. I, I skipped uh, four, five, and six. I hear six is actually kind of interesting. There's a whole, like, there's something resembling commentary about the American medical establishment that's kind of interesting. I think it's six. I think it's six. It's like, has to do with like revenge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Revenge on an insurance salesman or uh, insurance. Like the guy that tells you, no, you we're not going to pay for your medicine. There's uh, one of the weirdest kills where the insurance guy gets like fucking injected with several needles full of acid and then he just melts into like a puddle of guts. (laughs) Fucking silly. Um, They introduce uh, Lieutenant Mark Hoffman, the grizzle faced uh, second, third, fifth apprentice. Uh They bring in uh, they bring in Saw's ex-wife. Who's uh, what's her? The character's name is something. Jill Tuck, played by the surprisingly uh, cougar-like Betsy Russell. <laughs> I then I skipped ahead to Saw 3D, aka Saw: The Final Chapter, which is incredible. It is fucking gonzo bananas. The kills are so fucking gory. Obviously, they do a lot of dumb like, huh? We're in 3D. This is flying at your face. And Carrie Elwes comes back, and it turns out that uh, he was actually working for Saw all along and while all the other apprentices were getting secret envelopes from dead jigsaw uh carrie elvis was actually getting fucking even secreter tapes about (laughs) like fucking bullshit uh there was also in saw 3d and it opens with the public execution trap in which two guys who are like they have a a reciprocating like saw blade and if you push it towards the other they'll die and you'll be free 
but also the girl that was playing them both is hanging from the ceiling. So if they hold it even, they'll kill her. And they just agree to kill the cheating girlfriend. And it's fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, an- another important thing to know about Saw 3D was they were going to make two more movies. But Saw 6 was by this point doing so poor in the box. The franchise is always doing so poor at the box office that they just smashed together story elements from the next two movies into just Saw 3D, the final chapter. They were essentially like you make a cheap ass movie. By that point, I feel like it was more in the $10 million range, but that's still like nothing, right? In movie making money. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Saw 6 really underperformed, making yeah. under $100 million worldwide. It made Saw like 3. 30, I think. It made like 30 million worldwide or something like that. No, no, no. It was 40 domestic, 70 worldwide. Oh, okay. And uh, Saw 3D did a little bit better uh, because obviously the 3D ticket prices up your gross. And then they just let it lay fallow until the reboot in 2017, Jigsaw, which introduces another random guy who's uh, turns out to have been Jigsaw's best friend the whole time, but you never met him before. Uh, that one ends with a fucked up uh, trap where a crooked cop gets like la- a collar of lasers and it fucking splits his head eight ways like a slice of like like watermelon slices. Mm-hmm. It's fucking gross. <laughs> and then they tried again in 2021 with Spiral from the Book of Saw. Yeah, which I mean, that's Chris an interesting Rock one because that's and Samuel L. Jackson. Apparently, so apparently this one is really helmed by Chris Rock. Because Rock really wanted to like stretch out his acting chops into the realm of horror. So it was his idea that was pitched to get things going on this. And I, I was hopeful for this one. But alas, yet again, it does seem like a little more positively received. But it's still kind of still never getting out of like dog shit territory in terms of a movie. It was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it was like it, it had a it had a bunch of flaws. This one also had some interesting things to, about like police and justice and like there's you know there's the endings kind of cool. Honest to god, just do what I did and watch the ending compilation on YouTube because it really just reduces the entire franchise into like a 27 minute clusterfuck that keeps that like it keeps the status quo going and you get to see some rad kills. It's fucking insane. And by the way, so like by the 5th Saw movie the process goes, they get a week for an outline and a script by the end of the month with a shooting script around Christmas time. So, like, I'm talking, like, the moment a Saw movie comes out. Okay, back to work. We get one week to make an outline, one month for a script, and then and, and, and then a couple months more to be, be on the shooting script. The script is constantly changing through the shooting process. And I think that frenetic energy really shines through on all of these sequels. And I think, again, uh, something I point to is like a almost a head scratcher. Like they're constantly time jumping. They're constantly just like they're popping all to all different places, just giving you a wide variety of kills involving different people who all need to enjoy their life more. And there's always a flashback where Tobin Bell is like, listen, I'm going to die in like a week. So I'm you're going to be my also my best friend. And I'm going to tell you <laughs> everything a bunch of strangers are going to do. And here's a bunch of tapes and envelopes. Uh, don't worry about it. So, yeah, at least like with the last couple with Spiral and Jigsaw, I think they kind of had a reset. They were like, we got to just stop pumping these out. Fucking thank God. Finally, with Saw 3D, 
and a few years passed and they started like, I don't know, taking their time a little bit, not just trying to like, because even with Call of Duty, there's like two completely different teams working in tandem on completely different Call of Duty games. And that's how they're able to pump them out yearly, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not like one team just pumping out a yearly game. That would be horrible. So like, but that's what they were doing, essentially. You know, bringing in different people. I think for... um, those three of those movies in the middle, they brought in this writing team that wrote like a pre what 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 they thought could be a prequel for a Saw movie, and they were like, "Let us just write new Saw movies," and they just put them on that. Apparently, for Saw 3D, I feel so bad for this guy Kevin Grutert, who ended up who did Saw Six. Um, he uh, uh was supposed to make Paranormal Activity two, mm. and instead was forced to make the final chapter due to a weird contract stipulation, and that sucks because Paranormal Activity two is a big hit in the box office, and Final Destination Final Chapter was super not. Uh, of course, also you, I feel like this always happens in a franchise like this. Uh, production designer David Hackle, uh, who did production design on the second, third, and fourth Saw films, they just give him the job he gets to just direct saw five you know which of course you you don't necessarily want like the art department i mean it can work out in the case of john wick it really worked out but usually not the best situation when you've got the production designer now in the role of director and that's of course when the franchise as a whole starts to slide but it is cool that like i mean I want saw x to be awesome i feel like it'll be kind of like jason x a little bit it's especially because like Kevin Grutert is the director on Saw X. He did the final chapter. Um, I would also say he edited a lot of the series as well. You know, so it's not like he's like, you know, not the right guy for the job, but he did make arguably the worst Saw movie in the franchise. Saw 3D is genuinely uh, an experience. (laughs) It's genuinely amazing. Also, super key to all of this, to the innate sawness of these movies. Most of these things are 90 minutes under if we're just stopping at the credits. Right. Like these are not like a huge time commitments. These right. are just almost disposable thrill roller coasters. Total. That's totally what it is. It's amusement park stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? After the first one, the first one actually does attempt to say something interesting, give you a really, you know, novel twist mm-hmm. at the end. This, that, and the other. And again, it's so much less about there's the jaw trap the barbed wires and there was one other one that's very like wow this is like such a trap and then yeah. the rest of it's fire. like an escape he had room to, like he the was covered in, yeah, yeah. in gasoline flammable yeah. goo and he yeah yeah other than that it was really like this escape room element and a lot more of like it, james Wan even talks about how like it weirdly a lot of the movie plays out like a drama it's mm-hmm. just two guys in a room talking yeah you know And uh, it's just very different. It's really interesting. Uh, So, you know, I think when we look at the Saw franchise, I think, again, it's really interesting how these two guys were able to pull together a giant blockbuster hit straight out of college. It's really interesting and kind of mind-numbing how they franchise the shit out of it. But I think also people look at it as a whole and say, like, what is what made this so popular? And there are definitely thoughts. And Lee and uh, James have thoughts. They have thoughts on the term torture porn, which they don't feel like they made a torture porn movie initially. I would agree with them. I would agree that the first saw has the trappings of what should be torture porn, but you really don't... They didn't have the budget even to really do that much stuff. The later movies 
are absolutely raw yeah. body horror, visceral spectacle. It's just watching immiserated bodies just objectified and turned to like just piles of, of corn syrup and latex. So Lee Wannell had this to say. Right around that time, I think in 2004, this subgenre of horror that existed in the underground for a long time, this extreme stuff suddenly became palatable to mainstream audiences. People that previously would have never checked out films like Cannibal Holocaust or The Evil Dead suddenly were going to films like Hostel and Saw. And I don't know how to psychoanalyze that. I guess you could go on and say, well, you know, it was right in the middle of a war and there were all these accusations of torture being thrown around in Iraqi prisons and stuff. But I'll let someone with a degree in that stuff go into that. And he also said, I think at the same time Saw came out, the world was a very anxious place. I think people were being confronted, especially here in America, with things that are difficult to face up to, like the American government being accused of these backroom dealings and giving orders to soldiers about how to treat detainees. Guantanamo Bay, all that stuff was really beginning around that time, 2004, 2005. Maybe you're right. Maybe people subconsciously vent about things they can't bear to think about. And maybe horror films do reflect that. I guess it can't be a coincidence that all these extreme horror films were popular at a time when there was all this extreme stuff going on in the world. And yeah, that's totally it. It really brings me back to a certain place, you know. And I mean, I'm living in New York City in 2005, 2006. Um, and there was definitely an element of that. I'm, I'm, I'm watching a lot of documentaries about the government and about the war and about <laughs> torture. Torture was... Everywhere, every like on NPR podcast, Jack Bauer. Like, yeah, it was just the conversation at the time. I mean, you you could hardly read a newspaper without seeing the word torture somewhere in it. I mean, it was just ever present, you know, and and conversations around it, debates about it, the whole waterboarding thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just this huge topic of discussion. Uh, and just in general, like dilapidated buildings and shit like that was definitely a product of 9-11. And um, moving on t- from that, you know, a, j- a crazy war happening overseas. It it really, really was just the perfect time for something like this to hit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people do kind of throw aside the Psalm movies as being unworthy of analysis of being just kind of a modern version of the French uh Theater du Grand Guignol, uh, Theater of the Great Puppet, a popular art form in the late 1800s in which it was just a bunch of fucking gore fests that fucking French theater goers love. Um, But the fact is, is that, you know, there is psychology on screen, whether, you know, you're supposed to see in the character of Jigsaw a benevolent like force enlightening people through pain, or you can analyze the character of uh, John Kramer as trying to kill the pieces of himself that he resents with his waning life force. Like it's all really dense, but (laughs) within the things that we choose to portray in these slapdash uh, hot and dirty movies. Um, So as we approach the release of Saw X, which actually uh, I looked up the trailer, I looked up the premise and, you know, uh, it's about uh, John Kramer getting revenge on a team of unethical quack doctors that promised him a cure for his cancer. 
which is a surprising phenomenon that is very, very, very rampant in the modern world. There are tons of people offering like do nothing cures to desperate people at the end of their lives. Um, you know, th- where there's a where there's where there's a sin, there will be a trap. And as long as uh, Tobin Bell's uh, world weary grizzled face is there to cast judgment, that we'll keep seeing Saw movies. Absolutely. Uh, Lee and James have had thoughts on the term torture porn, and this is all I have to close it out. I have a quote from Lee and from James. So starting with Lee, I guess the term torture porn doesn't affect me one way or the other. I don't love the term, nor do I really hate it. For me, it's kind of hard to have any bad feelings about the term, because I guess torture porn has given me a lot of good things, like being able to work in the film industry and work as a screenwriter. I guess I'm just thankful to be part of a film that made it, and anything after that is just a champagne problem. James said, I think it's cool. Years from now, when people forget about all the negative connotations and look back at it, it's like you were part of a movement, like it or not. And that's cool. That is awesome. I'd love to be a filmmaker and look back and be like, oh, man, we were part of that whole 80s video nasty thing, Mm -hmm. which people can do now. I honestly think we'll look back with a lot of affection for this time and everything, and it'll be great. And I, I mean, it's happening right now. Like people love, have such a love and adoration for Jason and Freddie and, you know, everything from that time, Hellraiser and all of it. Right. And, you know, at the time that was a niche thing that was, you know, that certain people absolutely saw the, a genuine the moral awesomeness panic. of it and, and were really into it. But most people were like, look at these fucking idiots and their Freddy Krueger, you know what I mean? Or, or looking down on it as like t- too violent too extreme or too, uh, you know, ex- exploitative, right? And, uh, and then it just becomes a cultural, you know, l- legacy. So f- this is a we- this has been a weird one, Holden. I I, I, know, I never love, gave I love, this franchise a second thought. It's great, and now it is going to be in my brain forever. Yeah. There they are. They exist. They keep making them. Uh, I've, I hope Saw X is awesome. I don't know. I, I do want that Saw movie to come out that be is like the highly <laughs> lauded. You know, like, um, it's happened before. Like, it's happened with, uh, you know, like that Freddy versus Jason or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It comes out and everyone's like, it's back. (laughs) We did it. We're so back. It's not Jover. We're so back. Well, I believe at this point, the ants have finally devoured all of uh, Jake's testicles. So that means it's time to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. If you'd like weekly bonus content from us, along with uh, you get ad-free episodes of these shows. And for $15 a month, you can join us over on our Sunday study session on Discord. Every Sunday, we do stuff like watch a Saw movie or whatever it might be uh, that we're studying that week. And we're going to be deep in the in the trenches of spooky October so you best believe we're gonna be seeing some gory gooey shit Hell happening yeah. in there check it out until then thank you so much everybody for joining and always remember never stop bruising and keep on whizzing this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.